we come this Lord's Day to the Lord's table. I just want to say a few words about the Lord Jesus as our great high priest and how He is different from the Aaronic priesthood. In the passage we read in Hebrews this morning, you notice that the writer of Hebrews, he says at verse verse 3 of Hebrews 5, by reason of this, that is, that the high priest is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he might offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? For he himself also is compassed with infirmities, and by reason of this he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. Now, this is interesting because, you see, the writer of Hebrews is pointing out that the priest, whose functions and duties we're well acquainted with, is to have compassion on the ignorant, since he himself is compassed with infirmities, and by reason of this he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. When we come to the Lord Jesus, of course, The drumbeat of the texts that we've read in the last couple of weeks is this, that Christ was tempted like as we are, yet without sin, yet without sin, yet without sin. He is the priest who has the capacity to make an offering for sin, but not like Aaron who had to first offer to cleanse himself from sin before he could appear before God to offer for the people's sin. But not so our Lord Jesus, for He has no sin, never has sinned, perfect in all His ways. He was tempted like we are, yet He never sinned. This is the great divide between us and Christ that in His temptations, He never succumbed like He knows we do. Like He's acquainted with the fact that we do. And so therefore, He does not have to offer an offering to cleanse himself from sin before he first makes an offering to cleanse us from sin. And we see this at the story of the Lord's crucifixion, don't we? He goes straight to the cross to make an offering for our sin, but he never first offered up an offering for his own sin, did he? Because he had none. There wasn't anything about Christ that needed to be purified or forgiven or cleansed in any way, for He was spotless. He was the spotless Lamb of God. And that was the reason that the animal that was offered in the Old Covenant had to be perfect already. Imagine the mess it would have been if the Lamb had to have a sacrifice offered to cleanse Him of His defects before he himself could be offered as a sacrifice for the people. Why, there would be an infinite regress, wouldn't there? There'd be no end to it. But the lambs in the Old Testament were physical types of the offering that Christ made. They could be judged perfect, spotless, without blemish by an external examination, couldn't they, by the priest. And there were a number of defects that would disqualify a lamb in the Old Testament. You'll see them cataloged. 
God only required ceremonially pure, physically without blemish lamb in order for it to be used as a sacrifice for the people's sin. Of course, those lambs could never take away sin. That's why they had to be repeated over and over. But not so the Lord Jesus. You see, He had to be spiritually, morally pure. And plenty of people tried to claim that He wasn't, didn't they? Why, they accused Him of the capital sin of blasphemy when He told the truth about who He is. He's Messiah. One day you'll see Him sitting at the right hand of the majesty of the throne of God. They knew that He was making Himself out to be God, to be equal with God, to be the Son of God. And so they claimed that was a moral defect, didn't they? But they were wrong. And the Lord Jesus once chastised His persecutors by saying, which of you accuses Me of sin? And they were speechless, weren't they? They couldn't think of anything. Well, then they tried to claim that He he ate with sinners. But that's no sin at all. The Lord Jesus said, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The distinction is that the lamb under Old Testament rules had to be physically perfect. But the Lord Jesus, God's lamb, had to be morally and spiritually perfect. And indeed He is. And He always has been. And yet some false teachers will claim, well, if God laid our sins on Him, then He wasn't perfect anymore, was He? Their foolishness is beyond description. For those sins were laid on Him by imputation. He wasn't turned into a sinner, as some false teachers have said. But rather, He bore our sins spiritually, morally. He was treated as guilty for our sins, but that didn't make Him actually guilty. He is a lamb without spot and without blemish, morally and spiritually. And therefore, He is qualified to be the sacrifice that takes away sin. And it had to be that way, otherwise He would have had to make a sacrifice for His own sin, wouldn't He? But then, what would He have offered? Because the blood of animals could never take away sin. If Christ had had a sin, what would He have offered to cleanse Himself? There'd be nothing. Nothing that would do. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important that the Lord Jesus was tempted like we are, yet without sin. He never sinned, not a single time. And that is the wonder of Christ as the sacrifice. It's mighty easy, apparently, to dig up a lamb that's physically perfect. Physically perfect at least to the eye. And that's all God required. He didn't require genetic profiling or anything like that because it was all a picture and a type anyway. But one day He would provide a lamb to be slain in His dear Son, who would be perfect in all His ways. Not necessarily perfect physically. I don't know, the Lord Jesus might have been cross-eyed. Or He might have had poor vision. Who can say 
Well, he didn't break any bones now because the Scriptures promised that wouldn't happen to Messiah. But the point was, was that he was morally and spiritually perfect, even though he had been tempted in the same ways that we are. And so therefore, he was able to make a sacrifice for the cleansing of our sin, for the satisfaction of God's wrath against our crimes, which were laid upon him. And in this text we read in Mark chapter 15, notice it says that he was hung between two thieves. Probably they were worse than thieves. They might have been murderers too. They were brigands, bandits, lawless people for whatever reason. But he was put in the position physically and before the world as being just another one of those criminals that the state is going to put to death. And yet... He was perfect and never had sinned and had done no, no mischief. And in fact, Pontius Pilate determined, adjudicated that he was without fault at all. And then he went ahead and like a coward and a politician and a crooked judge, he went ahead and put Christ to death anyway because the crowd demanded it so. But the Lord Jesus was perfect in His person, in His character, morally and spiritually. And therefore, He was at once a perfect Lamb to take away our sin, and also a perfect priest who didn't have to make sacrifices for His own sins before He made sacrifices for the people. So the perfection of Christ in His tribulations, in His trials, was the proof that he would be not only a suitable high priest because he has been tempted like us, yet without sin, but also that he would be a suitable lamb to be slain for us, to take away our sin. It only has to be done once because the Lamb of God takes away sin perfectly and never has to be repeated. There's no more offering for sin, the writer of Hebrews puts it. And therefore, we can be sure that our high priest is not only fit to be our high priest, fit to be before the glory of God in heaven forever, making intercession for us, because he has no sin. But he's also fit to be the sacrifice that takes away our sin. And he never had a need to offer up a sacrifice. And never in the Scriptures is it recorded that Christ offered up a sacrifice Certainly not before He was betrayed and put on the cross to death. And this is an astounding thing that our high priest should not have to be purged by the blood of bulls and of goats. And so at the Lord's table, we celebrate the Lamb that was slain, the body that was torn riven and mutilated for us on the cross and the blood that was poured out to make an atonement for us for the remission of our sins. And because Christ was perfect morally and spiritually in all things, we can be assured that His offering is sufficient to satisfy the just demands of God because it's a pure offering, unspotted, morally, and able 
to satisfy the justice of God where no animal sacrifice ever really could. So that's why we celebrate the Lord's table. We think about that body that was perfect, spiritually and morally, that blood that was pure, spiritually and morally, that the Lord Jesus laid down as an offering for our sin so that we might be saved, so that we might be forgiven, cleansed. What does the writer of Hebrews say in Hebrews 10? Forever perfected us. By that one offering for sin, He has forever perfected us. You see, it can't be undone. It can't be lost, that perfection which Christ has wrought for His people. Some false churches teach that you can be justified. Usually they say it's by baptism, which is untrue. But then you can sin and then you can lose your justification. And then you have to do some rituals and performances and so forth. And I actually had one of these people claim, where in the catechism does it say that you can lose your justification? So I pointed him to the section on confession, the rite and the ritual of confession in his church, where it says that confession gives us an opportunity to restore to us the grace of justification. So he shut up and went away. He said, of course, of course, if you can lose your justification, then you have to always be busy about getting it back again and being careful to do the rituals that your false religion prescribes for you in order to obtain it again. This is the reason why some false churches have the last rites. You see, that's your last chance to make sure that your justification is up to speed and is in place. And woe betide if you should commit a sin after you receive the last rites. And none of this is well thought through or is logical, but yet it is what false believers, false teachers have foisted off on so many people. But the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10 that by His one offering, He has forever perfected the people, His people. And that's the hope that we have and that's the joy that we have and that's the thing that can't be taken away from us by false doctrine or by malicious teachers. And at the Lord's table, we celebrate in pictorial form that one offering that Jesus made, the perfect Jesus, the sinless, the spotless Jesus. He made it as our high priest and He made Himself that offering and He perfected us by His body torn on the cross and by His blood shed for the remission of our sins. So let's give thanks for the Lord's table and for what He has done for us and for His perfection and glory and the fact that He never messed up or spoiled Himself or spoilt the sacrifice and therefore He never had to make an offering for Himself before He went to the cross and made an offering for you and for me. I'd like to ask Brother Whitney if he'd give thanks for the bread that pictures the body of Christ broken for us.
And the Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took the bread and blessed it and broke it and said, Take and eat. This is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Let's give thanks for the cup that pictures the blood of the Lord Jesus shed to make atonement for us at the cross. So God our Father, we rejoice that Your dear Son, Your dear dying Lamb, His precious blood shall never lose its power. We thank You that Jesus went to the cross and suffered and died in our place and for our crimes and shed His precious blood to take away our sin, to perfect His people forever. And we thank You that it was a pure sacrifice, a holy sacrifice without any taint or blemish or defect of any kind, and that the Lord Jesus lived His whole life in such a faithful manner as to ensure that would be so. We give You the praise for it, and we honor Him for His obedience and His sinlessness and His faithfulness. And He did it for us. He did it to save His people from their sin. We thank You that He left us this cup to picture that blood that was shed, that pure Blood that only could take away sin. And we thank You that it has taken away our sin and that we can never, we who've trusted in Jesus, we can never be condemned or be charged with any crime because the Lord Jesus was condemned in our place and He was charged with our crimes though He had not committed them in His own person. Yet You laid them on Him. He was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Thank You for this cup that reminds us, help it to remind our hearts what it is wherein our real hope and joy and salvation rests. Not in the cup, not in the grape juice, but rather in the blood of the Lord Jesus shed for us that it represents. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Scriptures tell us after they had supped that He took the cup and He blessed it. And he said, Drink ye all of it. This cup is the new covenant in my blood for the remission of sin. Do it as often as ye do it in remembrance of me. And the Scriptures tell us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do preach the Lord's death until He comes. Let's sing number 189 in the Black Book. We know this hymn and we know this tune, but we usually sing it to the tune above. But 189, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Lord of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. 189, let's stand as we sing this.